Anyway, praise God. Just to add to what Andrea shared with you, you know in the book of Revelations, the first chapter, it talks about the seven churches, but it also talks about the seven angels of the church, the messengers. Angels are messengers, and those angels represent the messengers to the church. And it was the messenger that led the apostolic out of bondage into the city. So this morning, I believe the Lord is going to lead some of you to a place that you need to be. He's going to lead you out of that place of prison. But you know, the, the great challenge with human nature is human nature. It, it doesn't like to get up. It doesn't like to be challenged. It, it doesn't like to, uh, to do anything that is contrary to the feelings because feelings were corrupted in the garden because of the fall. And so when you come to the church, people step into the house. There's a challenge when it take, takes place to get beyond your head into your heart so that you would allow the Spirit of the Lord to move in you so that he can move through you. So today, I want you to, I want you to ask the Lord, not me, Ask the Lord to allow you to be open to his word, be open to his voice, be open to his truth, and let the Lord challenge you where you're at. Don't, don't listen to the message this morning and think, man, I know so-and-so that could receive, they need this. I, I know such-and-such, such. they could really glean from this, and that may be rightfully so, but let's ask the Lord how it applies to me personally. Father, we come before the throne of grace, and Lord, we ask for your enabling power. Lord, I know full well without the saturating of the anointing of your spirit upon every word, Lord, it will not penetrate the hearts. Lord, it will not awaken, Lord God, us to the place that you want us to be. Lord, I'm asking for the anointing, Lord, the empowering of your spirit to communicate effectively, Lord God, your word and to stay entirely out of your way this morning. And God's people said, Amen. I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to go over to John 20. Hold your place there. Hold your place there. And then we're going to start back just as a recap and we're going to finish up this series that we have been in, The Blood Still Speaks. Now, we saw the righteous, the, the blood of Abel who failed and how that the Lord sought after him and how that his blood was speaking even when Cain was denying the fact of what he had, what he had done. Let's look in, uh, you're looking at John 20. We're going to read our text that we've been drawing from for a couple of weeks or now. Hebrews 11:4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. That's Hebrews 11:4. Through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. And through it, he being dead still speaks. Now, Hebrews 12 and 24, I'll read to you out of the New Living Translation. It says, you have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. So as we look here to God's word, what we see it's like the old hymn, 
What can make, what can wash away my sin? Church, nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. As we have been studying the reality that God's blood still speaks. Now, Abel was slain in innocence. His blood spoke because, and it spoke out for vengeance because he didn't willingly give himself up. His life was taken. As we have discovered, Jesus willingly gave himself as a sacrifice for your sin and for my sin. And so as we look at our study, what we see is that if the, if the blood of Abel speaks, how much louder does the blood of Jesus Christ speak? Because Abel was still a sinful man. He was a man of sin and, and not just his blood that was speaking, but the offering of his sacrifice was speaking of his faith in Jehovah God. Faith in Christ Jesus. But as we look to the Word of God, what we understand, and as we have been studying, that in the totality of Christ's passion, in the totality of his sacrifice, we have redemption, we have freedom from sin, Satan, and self. But we also see that we can glean from the fact that when Christ bled in certain areas, then that afforded us freedom. We saw how that when he took the stripes upon his back, how that the burden of our sin can now be rolled away because now the governance rests upon his shoulder. I'll spit it out one way or the other. But we see that the government rests upon his shoulders and now the burdens of our sin are, are, are rest upon him so we don't carry that anymore. We are now in Christ Jesus. But we've discovered how that the emotions, our will, our, our mind, our will, and our emotions, our solical part of who we are was overdeveloped, if you will. I love the teaching of Watchman Nee, and Andrea shared this with me the other day, but Watchman Nee defines the flesh as this. It's where the body intersects with the soul. It's where our physical man intersects with our soul, without the spirit. That's called our flesh. Why is it important for you and I to understand that? Because we are not meant in the origin of our creation to be driven by our emotions. We're not, we're not meant to be driven by our, our flesh. Our senses, what we see, what we taste, what we feel, what we, those things are not to be the deciding factor. In fact, it's the just, and those that have been justified shall live not by sight, but by faith in Jesus Christ. But it's a challenge, is it not? Whenever we are living in this world and all what we have is we have this sensory perception, things that come at us, come at us, come at us, come at us, and it, it touches our feeling, it touches our life, it touches our sight, our, our smell, our touch, it pain hurts. And as these things come into our lives, now we process, process that. And 
we get to the place where we feel almost that we are justified by our emotional response to what has happened to us. And you can stand on those rights. You can declare the unfairness of your situation. The heinous crime that has been perpetrated against you, you can stand on those rights until you're blue in the face. But you're not going to be healed until you start walking in the Spirit of God. And that's the challenge of human nature because what happens is the Lord starts dealing with people. He starts probing and poking and getting deep down into where they're at. And now all of a sudden they get a little agitated. A little aggravated, a little annoyed. And many times as a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ, as his messenger to his body, people get annoyed with the preacher. I know you wouldn't dare believe that, but sometimes people are annoyed. And it's not just me. Sometimes it's you. But we found out that when Jesus bled in the garden and he said, not my will, but thy will be done. Now my will can be empowered through the blood to make right choices. Once I come into the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, the devil is not the one making me do what I do. It's the choice I make. Some of you are like, ouch. But also we see how that Christ bled through his heart when the soldier pierced his side and blood and water sprang forth. And now his gives us the indication that not only our, our will, but our emotions. That I don't have to live as an emotional wreck anymore. Woo! Thank you, Jesus. My, 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 my will where Jesus bled tells me I'm empowered. My emotions where Jesus bled tells me I'm empowered. And now when they plated the crown of thorns upon his head, now my thoughts are my own. If I choose to bring every thought into captivity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, there's many voices that may speak into your life. It could be voices from your past. It could be the other person's voices. It could be the Holy Spirit, and that's what we're after, the Holy Spirit. But let me tell you, just because it's a supernatural voice doesn't mean it's of God. You can, you can entertain familiar spirits. It can tell you certain things about what people are doing and where they're at. And, and because it's supernatural and it comes to pass, does not make it the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit will always lead to holiness in your spirit. He will never elevate you. He will only elevate Christ in you. So that Christ gets all of the boast. But we also saw last week how that when they drove the nails through his feet, we are now empowered to walk. The enemy doesn't want you to hear that. Because when you are empowered to walk, you're going to tread upon serpents and scorpions. Those are representation of him and his work in your life. 
So he doesn't want you. He wants to keep you in a place where you are emotionally charged, where you feel you have no choice because the choices have been made for you, and that your thoughts are completely consumed with the things that are destructive in your life. But I'm here to tell you good news. Jesus Christ bled, he died, and he rose again that third day that we may have life. He also, as we see in the word of the Lord, how that he was bruised for our iniquities. What is a bruise? It's an internal injury that happens in our hearts. And I think so often men and women of God live in that place of internal injury to their life, to their emotions, to their well-being. And it's an overwhelming, convincing argument of the enemy because of the circumstance. In the facts around you declare that you're broken because you've been abused, you have been hurt, you have been mistreated, you have mistreated others, you're destructive by nature, and thus you've got to live eternally in that internal destructive mode. But I got good news. I can still hear the blood. And the blood tells me that I, by his stripes, I am healed. Now, as we look here, we're going to take just a, a little turn as we finish up, as we talk about another place where Jesus bled. Another place where Jesus bled was in his hands. Was in his hands. Mark 15 and 24 says, They nailed his hands and feet to the cross. Now, our own line of music wrote this. So I just took from that, if that's all right. I thought it was a beautiful thing that she shared, I think, on her Facebook post in, in, in a message that she sent me. She just entitled it simply, With His Hands. With the hands of Jesus, which represents the works of God. Let me back up to Jeremiah 32 and 30 before I get into that. I want you to get this. Jeremiah 32 and 30. Because the children of Israel... And the children of Ju Judah have done only evil before me from their youth. What happens to us when we enter into the world? We live in this state of evil behavior. For the children of Israel have provoked me only to anger with the work of their hands, says the Lord. With the work of their hands. When we talk about hands in the word of God, we're talking about the work of of God. We get that, right? We talk about the feet, that's the authority we walk in. We talk about the heart, that's the, that's the emotional seat in our being. We talk about the head, that's the thoughts. We talk about those, the back, that's the burdens we carry. But the hands represent the work. Lina put this so eloquently. He with his hands, he multiplied the loaves and the fish. With his hands, he healed the sick. With his hands, he touched the blind eyes, and they were opened. With his hands, he caused the lame to walk. And with his hands, he lifted Peter from the stormy sea. 
Let me go on to tell you that with his hands, in Matthew 8 and 3, he healed the leper. With his hands, he also touched Peter's mother and healed her of that that feverish disease in her life, in her body. We find in Matthew 9 and 29 that he healed the two blind men as he touched their eyes. In Matthew 17 and 7, he comforted his disciples when he touched them, when they were full of fear because of the revelation of who Christ was. He says, arise and do not be afraid. It was the death mute in Mark 7, that when Jesus touched him, put his finger in his ear, that he healed him. Whenever he was in Nain, whenever they were carrying that body out for burial of that widow of her only son, as they were on their way out, it was Jesus with his hand that he touched that coffin and he said, Arise! And that dead rose that very day. It was with his hands that he caused those healings to take place. Mm. It almost felt like it went Thank you for that effort of encouragement there, Pastor Angel. (laughs) His hands when he touched lives were changed. His work represented in his hands. Habakkuk says there there was light, lightning coming from his fingertips, and therein was the hiding of his power. I would say to you today that the Lord God Almighty still hides his power in his hands. We're not only the temple of the Holy Spirit, we are the bride of Christ. And we're not only the bride of Christ and the temple of the Holy Spirit, but we are the body of Christ. And the body of Christ, it's the feet, his feet that we walk in that gives us the authority. But it is in his hands, his church, where he is the hiding of his power. It's a little bit better. Now, I didn't forget about John 20. I wanted to get there. But I want you to look here in John 20. Now, the Lord had revealed himself to to Mary Magdalene. He revealed himself to the the women as they went to the sculpture. He revealed himself to Peter. Then to the disciples on the road of Emmaus. And then on the Sunday evening, he revealed himself in his glorified state to his disciples, but Thomas wasn't there. And now a week later, we come to John 20, and this is where the Lord reveals himself to to Thomas because Thomas made this declaration because he witnessed the crucifixion of Christ. He said, if I don't see the nails, scars in his feet, and the nail scars in his hand and the nail scar in his side, I will not believe. So here the Lord accommodates Thomas. Now Thomas in John 20 and verse 24. Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. John 20 and 25. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. And so he said to them, unless I see his hands, the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. 
After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut. Let me tell you, God doesn't need you to open the door. If you just get your heart right, he'll step right through your wall. Amen? Stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here, and look at my hands, and reach your hand here, and put it into my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believe. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe me. Now, as we look here, we're going to get to the work of God. But before we do, I, I'm, I just want to, I want to say to you, I, we've been reading this book, Andrew and I, and she's much further in that than I am. Abba's Child by Brendan Manning. And if you haven't read it, let me encourage you to read it. One of the statements that he put in there, and I love this, says our original purpose is this. To see him, speaking of Jesus, to see Jesus more clearly, love him more dearly, and follow him more nearly. I like that, don't you? But as you... Note there, it was Jesus that said to Thomas, come here. Come here, Thomas. Come in here. And I want you to, I want you to take your hand. See? There's my scar right there. Look. You see it? It's a scar. Go ahead. Touch it. It's, it's, I'm real. I'm real. Go ahead and touch me. Now, my side, he pulls, pulls back his, he's right there. No, oh, my heart's on the other side. Sorry. See that? Go ahead and touch it. I'm real. I'm real. This really happened. And see, Thomas didn't believe until he saw the scars. Hold that thought. But I want you to know is that the Lord Jesus didn't say, Come here, Thomas. Look at my bandage. Come look at my bandage. Now believe. Brennan Manning says this, our bandage, unfortunately, becomes our identity. And the Lord is trying to share with you and I is that it's not your bandage that needs to be your identity. What do you mean that a bandage becomes our identity? When we don't receive healing from the Lord Jesus Christ in the blood sacrifice and where he bled, now all of a sudden what should be a reality in our life that other people can walk up and get close enough to us to touch us, we shrink back and say, no, look at my bandage. Because the bandage is what we use to cover our wounds. The bandage is what we present to others and it becomes our identity. I had a lot of bandages when I came into the kingdom. I was self-abusive. I was drug addict, alcoholic. I was an abused child, physically, emotionally, sexually. This is my identity and this is what I showed others. This is, let me take that back. Those are the wounds that I was covering. What I was showing them is, I'm okay. 
people coming to the church and they're like, man, let me put on enough religion and I can cover up my wounds and that's, see how spiritual I am? I can quote verses of the Bible. I'm a holy, holy man. The problem with that is what Watchman Nee says is the two extremes or the two parts of the flesh and that is unrighteousness and self-righteousness. So you can cover your wounds with your alcohol, unrighteousness. You can cover your wounds with, with adulterous behavior, another covering of the wound. You can go out and try to find someone that will accept you just like you are. You can walk around in this spiritual state of this seeming righteousness. But self-righteousness never points to the selfless behavior of Christ. It only points to elevate me beyond my wounds. I can pick out the faults of every person, but can't see my own. That's self-righteousness. I can, I can tell you how you need to walk and how you need to talk and what you need to be doing right now, my self-righteous behavior. But I can't make you do it. Only the Spirit of God can. Do you see the narrative that I'm talking about here? It's the narrative of the self-righteous person. Very religious, very rigid, very hard to live with, very hard to be around, very hard because all they can see is the faults. All they can see is the negativity. All they can see is what you're not doing right. And oh, they want to point it out. What they fail to tell you is their whited sculpture full of dead men's bones. And it stinks. So let me tell you, don't take your identity and try to cover your wounds with success, with spirit pseudo-spirituality. You know what I'm saying, what true spirituality is? It's not whether or not you can be used in the gifts of the Spirit. True spirituality is living a character and bearing the fruits of the Spirit. <laughs> because you're in the vine. And you're abiding in the Lord. So be careful, folks, when you're throwing rocks, when you live in a glass house. You're getting too close, preacher. Good. Let's plow a little deeper. Let's get a little closer so that you can find freedom, so that you will not be looking through this lens of religion all the time, telling people what they're not doing and what they can't do and how, how disgusted you are and the disdain that comes across your lips. But maybe you should stop taking your identity in some religious bandage and let God heal your wounds. Because success cannot cause healing. I tried it. I thought I'll, I'll become successful. I'll make some money. I'll make more money in my, my family. I'll get out and get an education. It wasn't a lot of money that I was making, but it was more than I'd ever seen. 
But it did not equate to success. It didn't take away from the fact that I was broken on the inside and I was lost and undone and that success could not cover my wounds. And you can get to the place, the pinnacle of success, but let me tell you, it's no guarantee. It will not cause you to become any better than what you are. In fact, you will still self-destruct without the help of Christ. It's only a bandage. And don't take your identity in that bandage of success. You need to be faithful to the house of God. God commits the, this gospel to faithful men and women. But you need more than faithfulness. You need to study the word of God, but you need more than study of the word of God. You need to be a witness for Christ, but you need to do more than just work for the Lord. You need to be something on the inside, and that something is healed If it remains hidden, it'll never be healed. If it remains hidden, it'll never be healed. Do not let bandages become our identity. Whatever it is that I'm covering my wound with, whatever I'm covering that thing that I don't want anybody else to know about, the thing that lingers deep in my psyche, the thing that it's crushing if it was brought to light. Shame if it was, if anybody ever found out how horrible I, I really am and the horrible things that ever happened to me. If I, I'm on, I'm, I'm on plan, I'm going to make sure that nobody ever finds out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep that bandage on there. I'm, I'm going to, I don't let people get close enough just just close enough to see my identity, which is my bandage. Look, I'm successful. Financially, spiritually, look how good I am. Huh. It's laughable, isn't it? Until it becomes personal application, then it's like, oh, my Lord Jesus. Well, Jesus said, so come here, Thomas. I want you to see the scar. Hearts on this side, remember. I want you to see the scar. See, there's a lot of folks that are not going to believe the work of God is complete until they see your scars. People come in and show me their open wounds all the time. I don't want to see that. <laughs> Look at this festering bowl I have on my leg. Let me show you how it's eaten away all the way down to the bone. Gross. Keep that to yourself. Look at this gunshot here. Just blew half my hand off. You want to see it? I went in to get, I had a bad habit of breaking bones in my hands when I was a teenager. And I went in one time, it was about the third break, doing stupid stuff, playing football, fighting and such. And so I went in to the, to the bone specialist, and they knew me by name. Oh, there's Mike again. He's back here with, uh, with another broken hand in four years of high school. I had five broken bones. And so 
They couldn't determine if I just played hard or if I was just brittle. I think I was just brittle. But anyway, I came in, and here's the guy in the, in the same waiting room or same big area, and they start unwrapping his wound, and he had a hole perfectly shot right through his hands. That was nasty. It's like, let's cover that up. I don't want to see that anymore. And that was 20 long, 30, 40. Good gosh. That's a long time ago, but it embedded in my mind. This man's wound. Jesus said, come look at the scar. I'm healed. What is a scar evidence of? That yes, there was a wound at one time, but you don't cover it up anymore. It's healed. It's healed. Jesus said, I want you to come and look at the area in which I was bludgeoned, the area in which I was impaled, and I want you to see that I'm no longer wounded. You don't see any bruises on me. You don't see any open wounds on me because I have been healed. Now, this is where we get into the work of God. Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. What's the work of God in our lives, the hands of God? It's to believe that Jesus Christ not only bled, not only died, but rose again and did what we could never do. And now because of that sacrifice and he rose from the grave physically, we can now rise from the grave right now spiritually when we accept him as our sacrifice because our sacrifice is not enough. And what happens is Jesus enters into our heart and now the wounds that we had, we are now healed through Jesus Christ. Christ and our identity is not in our bandage, not in our success, not in our self-righteousness, not in our spirituality, but our identity is in the cross. Our identity is the fact that Jesus Christ is healed, thus I am healed today because of Jesus Christ. And now it's my job, the work that God has called me to is to convince you by the Spirit of the Lord, to believe on the one in whom the Father has sent. That's the work of God. Don't believe in me. Don't believe in the assemblies of God. Don't believe in denominations. Believe in the one whom we are following, and that is Jesus Christ, him crucified. That is the work of God. People will always fail you. Always. But we're called to be a part of a body. But we got to get our eyes off people. Give your brother, your sister some benefit of some doubt. Amen? Because any given day, you don't know what kind of stress they may be personally and emotionally resting under. And you might have caught them at a very bad time. And we know you have never, ever done that before in your whole entire existence. And that's why we're looking to you for guidance. It's happened to us all, hasn't it? 
Some of you in this house can take a lot and have taken a lot and are under a lot. But there's a breaking point where that burden's too heavy and you're going to crumble under it. It's part of the body to encourage one another, to lift one another up. They say, hey, welcome to the human race. It's all right. You'll get it tomorrow. You'll do better next time through Christ's help. Let's just believe in Jesus. Let's believe that what he did was enough. And let's go tell others because that's the work of the kingdom. We have been given this ministry of reconciliation. You know what that word reconciliation means in the, in the root form? It means an adjustment or exchange of a difference. It means a restoration to favor, restoration to divine favor. Stop trying to please God with your works and start walking in whom the Father is pleased with because he declared from heaven, this is my beloved, my loved son in whom I am well pleased. So I don't have to work to become accepted anymore. I have already been accepted in Christ. Now I live according to my faith, not in what I'm able to do, but what in he has already done. I'm healed. There are wounds that are so deep inside of you, and as much as you're trying, you're trying to convince the world that you're okay. As soon as you're challenged, it's quite evident that you're not okay. But you stand on your rights. I'll die on this post. I've drawn the line. These are my rights. This is the X, and I will stand here till I die. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Because if you were truly spiritually dead, you'd get off your rights, get on your feet, and start reaching as Christ did to see others healed. I know, I know, I know, I know. You're agitated. You're irritated. You're a little bit bugged right now. Don't blame me entirely. Because it might just be you. See, you have a call beyond what you ever imagined. I had a gentleman, he was used in the, in the prophetic. A lot of his life, though, was pretty much pathetic. <laughs> Loved the guy. He's a great guy. He'd stay up half the night. He'd, he'd don't do this. Please don't do this. My, my phone stays on, and I hear every text message beep, and I'm a light sleeper, and so if you send me stuff, it's going to wake me up in the middle of the night. Don't, don't send me that stuff. Write it down and send it in a day, okay? But I get up early. You can send it early. Just don't send it at 3 o'clock in the morning. But anyway, he would get on the, he'd get in a, he would, he was just very hyper dude. He'd get up in the middle of the night and he would, Lord would give him something. He'd, he'd pick up the phone and he'd call and I'd just let it go to voicemail. And when he'd go to voicemail, he just, man, he just, and he was many times, he was spot on. 
Many times, not so much. But many times, he was spot on. So he calls me one day. I said, man, where you been? Oh, so-and-so. They just marginalized me, and I don't feel appreciated. I don't feel wanted. I don't feel needed. I said, brother, shut up. Shut your mouth. I said, I expect more out of you than that. He's like, what? I said, yeah, I expect more out of you than that. God's using you in the gifts of the Spirit, and you're going to wallow around in the flesh? Get up and shut up. Come on. What in the world? God's going to give you revelation and knowledge and understanding, and all of a sudden you're going to act like a big goof? Come on, there's more to you than that. God has more for you than that. I'm telling you, church, it's time you stop wallowing around in emotional dysfunction and start getting up and doing what God called you to do. Stop showing people your bandages. I don't want to hear about your bandages. I want to see your wounds, your scars that have been healed, those no longer wounds anymore. Now, don't fake it. Don't fake it. I don't care for fake. My stepfather had abused me for so many years. He was the biggest fake I'd ever seen. I'm telling you, he'd treat us like, like the devil's children at home. Beat us black and blue. Treat us like hateful, no good. It's like, if you're redhead, I'm sorry. You redheaded stepchildren. That's his expression. It's no slander against you. I like redheads. But then somebody would come over, peaches and cream. He was the sweetest thing since sliced bread. He was so soft and genteel. That door would close and he was like, throwing his food against the wall, backhanding you against the. You know what I'm saying? I cannot stand a fake. But the fake I despise the most is the one inside of me. We always look at the Pharisee and a publican. We always identify with the publican over there praying, beating his breast, and the Pharisee looking down on him. But what we don't want to acknowledge is the fact that just as much unrighteousness as we have in our flesh, we have just as much self-righteousness. It's the Pharisee in me that I need to worry about most, not the Pharisee in you. So let me encourage you today. Let God heal you. Let God heal you. How do you know when a person's healed? They don't mind showing you their scars. I got a scar right here where I drove a nail through my my hand as a kid, not purposely. I was crawling under a house that I wasn't supposed to be under. I got, a, I got a scar right here where a dog reached up and grabbed my hand. And it was so peculiar that this dog was hanging on my hand. I was like, what in the world? And I threw him off. I got a scar on my back and my front where, where I got appendicitis and got gangrene and, and had to go into surgery and I was healed. I got a scar on my knee where my ligament. See, I got scars all over my body. But they're scars. They're not open wounds. So I don't care if you get close enough to see them. See, that's what happens when, when we stop faking healing. We start letting people close enough to see us. We stop hiding. 
Because if we stop denying that it was the shame and the pain of what we were dealing with. So now we take it in. I thought it was 2 o'clock. It's only 12. Praise God. I was going to go 30 minutes over, but I don't even have to now. I want you to be healed. I want to see. I want to see you healed. I don't want you to take your identity and your bandages anymore. I want to see God step in. Heal your heart. Heal your family. Heal your children. I don't take any pleasure in your wounds. I don't want you to fake anything. I just want to see God reach down. Take all that brokenness and say, let me have it. Watch him heal it. You go out and say, look, I'm a child of God. I'm not living in bondage anymore. I'm not living in self-destructive behavior anymore. I'm healed. I'm healed. I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus Christ. I am healed. That's all I'm asking. There's some wounds that were so deep inside of me that it took me a long time. I'm not telling you this a one and done. I'm just asking you to start the journey. Just start the journey. Don't fake healing. This is the work of God. To believe in the one whom the Father sent. And I want you to do an exercise in faith this week. And I am closing. I want you to do some replacement therapy. I don't know if that's a biblical or a, a, a medical or a term or not. I'm just making it up, okay? But I found it works. When you become over abundant or any measure of fear comes into your life I want you to do this that emotion as a child of God is in your control it's in your control I want you to replace that fear with this response Lord thank you Lord thank you for your goodness thank you for your mercy be anxious for nothing but all things through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known. So when fear tries to stifle you, suffocate you, blind you, I want you to stop in that moment and I want you to begin to thank God. Oh, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your goodness. When bitterness tries to rise up in your heart, I want you to turn back to the cross and start thanking him all over again for what he's done for you. Whenever you get to that place and that self-hate, self 
hatred voice wants to enter into your heart and say you're worthless, you're no good, you can never amount to anything. You, everything that's said about you is true. That's when you have to be brave enough to say, God, I thank you that I am complete in Christ, that everything was accomplished on the cross, that I don't have to live listening to that narrative anymore. I can now take authority over my own thoughts. I'm not blaming anybody because I'm not living in the garden of Eden anymore. I'm living in the garden of Gethsemane where Christ bled. And so I am choosing rather to live in the Christ and die to self. Amen? So we have some professional counselors. I probably have to schedule some time with them to give me some clarity on that statement I just made. I'm sure there's a term for that. But I'm going to call it replacement therapy. Reconciliation therapy. You're taking that old out and putting that new in. You're taking that old thought pattern out and you're bringing the new in. And you're believing what Christ said about you. If you want to be free, you got to live in truth. Father, I ask you in Jesus' holy name. Jesus' holy name. Laney, come help me. Jesus' holy name. Lord, would you, would you heal this morning? Lord, would you heal? Would you heal so much, Lord, that we don't we don't identify with our bandage anymore? We don't deny our injuries. We bring them before you first. And Lord, we discover that in your precious blood. I'm not going to ask you the details of your situation. I'm not going to ask you the the details of your wound. But what I am going to ask you to do is this. If you know that you know that you know, or maybe suspect that God is speaking to you, I want you to come to this altar not for my well-being but for yours and I want you to surrender that wound or wounds to God and I want you to be brave enough to say Lord take my bandages off heal my brokenness if that's you I want you right now to get up as we stand across this room If you're in this house and this is, you're at that place, I want you to come and find a place. Just kneel and just start surrendering to God. Come on, come on, come on. Just kneel before the Lord. Just say, God, I I give you my mistakes. I give you the mistakes of others. I give you the wounds in my 